Hello, and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond. I'm here with my friend Ryan. Hello, everybody. And Ryan, you are somewhere far away. I'm reaching you from the Pacific Northwest. What brought you there? Green energy. (laughs) But what literally brought you there? JetBlue. (laughs) (laughs) And how'd you get to JetBlue? So, uh, comically enough, following our last conversation, I ended up getting to Boston Airport in yet another Tesla. All right. So we're, you know, still on the Tesla talk. Uh, would you uh, would you feel inspired to to take out to get you to the airport? We can't seem to get away from these Teslas, can we? Who knew <laughs> we were going to be such an electric car podcast? We should probably change our name. No. So, uh, comically enough. We had this week crazy cold temperatures in New England. Actually, uh, I think all-time last 100-year records for Rhode Island, in fact. We were below zero for a few days. Um, So cold that I I live by the water, and the ocean was breaking, or the bay was breaking on the beach. And it was so cold out that the spray from from the bay breaking on the beach was freezing. And it almost looked like snow was building up on the sand, but it hadn't snowed. It was it was honestly just from the the spray freezing, which is totally crazy. We we get snow in in you know my part of Rhode Island once, twice, three times in a year if we're lucky, right? Yeah, especially, yeah. Yeah, um, but it was so cold that you know I I actually just got snow tires on um, Karen's Miata, my wife's Miata, and I was going to take it to the airport, but I said, the battery is a little weak because we haven't been driving it. I'm gonna take this thing to the airport and it's going to sit there and I'm gonna get back from my trip and the battery is going to be dead. Better <laughs> that I rent a car. So I go on to I go on to Hertz and I rent the manager's special and I get, I get there and they say, well, you can have a, a, a Honda HRV or one of the uh, six Tesla Model 3s that we have available. And I said, hmm, any of those Model 3s have low mileage? And she goes, well, I have one with a 1,000 miles. So I get out to the thing. Such an odd request. I wonder how many people ask how many miles are on the car they're about to rent. Oh, I totally disagree. I ask that every time. Well, I understand you would ask. Yeah, well, because it's critical, right? They give you a clunker of 50,000 miles. You don't want that. You want the, you want the freshest car they have in the fleet. I don't think the average rental car renter uh, thinks about that. You have to be a seasoned professional like myself and <laughs> and have a, a couple hundred on your resume. <laughs> uh, but so she gave me this Model Three, and it you know I had the Model Three uh, before the or right after the New Year when I returned the Q3 uh, back to Audi. I got a Model Three as a rental to come back up from New Haven. And that one had been smoked. Weed was smoked in that car. It was all beat up. It had 40,000 miles. You know, it had seen a life already. And so I said, okay, maybe any judgment I had on that Model 3 wasn't wasn't exactly fair. And being in one that's brand new is going to make a difference. And it couldn't have been newer than this. It actually still had the sticker with a production date on it. It was built December, like, 16th, I believe. Uh yeah, so it was really fresh. Still in the break and, period. 
That is such an interesting thought. I didn't consider, does break-in exist for electric cars? If anybody knows, please write to us. (laughs) Interesting. We'll have to do some research on break-in of electric cars following this. But it had but a, I, it had uh, very few miles, and uh, you took it out. I took it out, and it was a much nicer experience. I said it in my Instagram post on on this car, but the design of the Model Three is so well resolved. It's it's just simple, really elegant. The interior, especially being so clean like this one was, is. Honestly, very impressive for the price of the car. It looks more like modern furniture than it does a car, in a way. Which, yeah, yeah, and I think I think that a lot of people in this day and age would really appreciate that, as designs get way too overcomplicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned on my Instagram post on this as well, Jerry Seinfeld was recently talking about this on Spike's Car Radio podcast. And he was talking about how, you know, designs like the W123, the simplicity of that old Mercedes can't exist anymore. Except, he mentioned, I do love that Model 3. It's a very, just a perfectly crisp, clean design. And and I took those words to heart, happened to be listening to the podcast while I was driving the Model 3, so it was very timely. But uh, from a driving perspective, you know, it's it, it pretty much sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, how is the interior, despite the the simplicity at all? You know, last week when we chatted about Teslas, we kind of talked about the build quality. Uh, you know, how did that compare with just even a thousand miles on it? Still a lot of creaks and and kind of inconsistencies, or or what do you think? It's a good question, and it was completely different experience. So, quality out of the factory actually feels quite nice. Mm. Put a couple miles on it and things start to fall apart. <laughs> it's a better car to lease than to own, I would say. Okay. Yeah, it's probably fair too. You know, the more miles you put on it and the the battery wear, uh, you probably don't, you know, want the car anymore anyways. Yeah, it, it's I was thinking about that as well. And uh, you know, Nonetheless, it, it was a nice car, and I'm sure for for some people, you know, it would be it would be a fine buy. If you don't care about driving dynamics, really, it's it's pretty nice. Great, great tech. It looks great. Feels interesting. Um, but if you like to drive, uh, I mean, I think you'd get very sick of the steering and the ride quality. It's it's the ride quality of it reminds me, actually, in high school, I had a 1989 Nissan 240SX from the junkyard. And what I did with that car was I put it on, I think they were at the time, like $400 Megan Racing coilovers. And I lowered the coilovers essentially as low as they would go. <laughs> and I recall at the New Jersey uh, shore at that time, the uh, Route 35, the main road, was not fully paved they were segmented concrete blocks and i would drive down there all the time to visit my grandparents and as you passed over each one of the separations between the concrete blocks i bounced inside the car so much i could almost hit my head on the ceiling 
And <laughs> this Tesla's ride quality on the highway over expansion joints and small imperfections was so similar to that. It had no level of sophistication and it was stiff, which means that the Model 3 does handle or it's it's effective, right? But not enjoyable. Interesting. Well, I uh, failed to accomplish your homework and have a drive in one myself. So uh, I'll have to do my extra credit and maybe experience one so that I can opine on this a little better. Um, well, now we know Hertz, this is all Hertz has in their fleet. I returned it to Boston Airport. There was nothing else in the Hertz area but Teslas. There must have been 200 Model 3s at the Hertz Boston return area. It was shocking. And in fact, the lady at the agency told me that they made a concerted concerted effort to sell many of their cars when the used car prices were inflated. Hmm. And then they went and purchased new fleet. And I suppose that they came to some agreement with Tesla to purchase a ton of them. Other companies have them as well, but nobody like Hertz. So you can go to Hertz, book the manager's special for $75 a day and get a Tesla Model 3. So I think I think you'll have to do that. Okay. It sounds like not a bad deal, especially if you get one with a thousand miles on it. I can't guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you took one to, to the airport and now you're over across in the, the Northwest uh, what else, uh, what other car did you add to your rental car resume while you're over there? So I had the pleasure of arriving to Seattle Airport at 2.30 in the morning, which means that every single car was available, right? So they had restocked everything sort of to close the night. And now the whole lot was full and I could choose from any car I wanted. So <laughs> as I arrived in, I was a little groggy. My flight was a few hours delayed. But I walked all the aisles and there was essentially nothing of interest. I looked at a 300C, 300S, I should say, the V6 model. And there were there was maybe a QX80 Infinity, which I do like those. Um, mm-hmm. But I did see up front in the VIP section where typically you have to pay more to get these cars, an Audi A4. And it, and it was brand new, the 2023 model. And I've always sort of liked the look of the new A4. And I've driven now the Alfa Giulia the BMW 3 Series, and I had not driven this. I obviously owned the Q3 for a while, um, but I had a feeling the A4 was going to be a little bit better of a package than the Q3. And so I loaded all of my stuff into it, and I went to the lady, and I said, oh, the keys aren't in here. You know, I already have loaded up all of my stuff. And she said, well, usually you have to pay for those. And I said, well, it is 2.30 in the morning, and my flight was three hours delayed. Do you think you could make an exception? She tossed me the keys, and... It was really great that I got this car because I had to drive from Seattle uh, through. I went to Washington Wine Country yesterday. I actually picked up this bottle of Syrah that I'm drinking from uh, from the Red Mountain AVA. Uh, highly recommended as a stop for anyone. Um, but you know, big, wide open country, and you really needed a car that could move a little bit and feel comfortable at high speeds. And so I spent, I did about 600 miles over the last. 600 miles in a day essentially right and uh i think i spent the majority of it over 100 miles per hour (laughs) (laughs) and let me tell you it was night and day coming out of that model 3 and getting into an a4 really wow it was an unbelievable distinction and that's nice to have something similar with a with a brand new car 
back to back. You know, how many miles are on this A4, if you recall? 3,000 when I got it. Okay, so not much more than the Tesla. And how does it feel in comparison? Like, uh, does it, you know, equate in any way or what, you know, stands out to you? So interestingly enough, I think that the A4 is really well resolved on the exterior. The design is excellent. You get inside and the materials feel a touch cheaper than the Tesla, hmm. which was neat, right? So Audi uses a lot of hard plastic right? on like the dash. Yeah, and the aluminums. Excuse me? Like the fake brushed aluminum looking plastic and... Uh... Not a lot of that, actually. They, they have now on the dash a very nice fake dark wood and it has an actual grain to it. So it, that feels really nice. But the door tops, it reminds me actually of exactly the design in my Jetta. Mm. Instead of putting any cushion or leather on the door, the doors, it's just plastic, right? And they decided that was an area to cut costs. So you get in and the Tesla actually felt, looked a bit more modern and felt perhaps a bit nicer. But as soon as you get underway, <laughs> the four has a, a whole nother level of sophistication. I mean, we just had the chance to look at the prices and I was thinking, well, you know, the A4 is probably more expensive than the Model 3. And it is if you factor in the tax credit, but the two cars that I drove were actually identically priced at $48,000. So it was a really interesting back-to-back comparison and so neat to have them within such a short time frame of a few hours of one another. Um, but yeah, I mean, to cover miles in, this A4 showed what German engineering is all about. Oh, for sure. I mean, and I think, you know, it's a it's a weird or a really extreme juxtaposition of, you know, Teslas are very popular. I, I don't know if you had a chance to, to see around Seattle and notice how many Teslas there are there or uh, other electric cars as well around that city. Um, but you had to drive through some Nowheresville, Washington uh, and some countryside. No offense to anyone in, in Nowheresville, Washington. But, uh, you know, I, you wouldn't be able to take a, a Tesla out that far for that amount of miles that you covered. And, you know, I, I don't imagine there are many superchargers or, or charging stations along the way out to, to where you are. To Walla Walla. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have the chance to look if there were superchargers, but I will say the places all around didn't look like they would have superchargers. It wasn't it wasn't being in the Bay Area, let's say, right? You no. know? Sure. I mean, we we chatted on the phone briefly while you were driving, and uh, it was late at night for you, and you still had you know maybe a couple hours of driving to your final destination, and uh, you know you said it was just pitch black, you couldn't see anything around you, there was no one on the highway, you said except one gas station in the distance that where you could see, and you know thank God if you needed gas, you're in a gas engine, you know power, powered car, so you could stop and you'd be saved, but. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing you need and where Teslas don't work everywhere. Yeah, I, I was I was really happy to be in an Audi regardless of the charging. It was it was so nice. And, and so interestingly enough, now I've driven a lot of cars in this category. Right. So I've driven the Model 3 two times. I've driven um, the 3 Series a couple times, the new 3 Series a couple times and the, the 320 and the 328 variants uh, or 320, 328 and 330. I also drove the 
Alfa Romeo Giulia, most recently in Louisiana. And now I've driven the A4 to round out the experience. And, uh, you know, a little bit unfortunately to say, the BMW falls in the bottom of the bottom of the pile with the Tesla for me. I was mm. totally not impressed with the new 3 Series, the base 3 Series, right? I've yet to drive the M3. That'll have to wait till tomorrow. I actually am picking one up in LA. But uh, the the base 3 Series and Model 3 are definitely the bottom of, of my um, entry-level ger- or mid-size German sedan or mid-size sedan segment. Then it's a little bit of a difficult pick between the A4 and the Julia. The Julia is a, a bit more compact inside. Mm. You yes. don't have the space to spread out. You feel a little bit more comfortable in the A4. But the Julia is fun. It's a bit exciting. It has these paddles that are mounted on the column. It feels Italian. And there's there's a, a level of what's that? There's a lot of flair to it. Absolutely. Passion. It's yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so obviously Italian. And the A4 is the most German car of all German cars. It's it it has a mission. I'm just gonna put good easy miles in the Autobahn and not cause you problems and I'm not gonna make a lot of noise. And you know, that's where I think the A4 was so much more sophisticated than some of the other cars in the category. You don't feel the transmission and you don't hear the engine. You're just mm-hmm. invisible. So in my Q3, for example, you know, sort of similar price range, similar size, the engine and the transmission were kind of in your face. And I always said that it's not like they were nice in your face. They're just there. You kind of would almost rather have an electric car in that sense. But this A4's platform was so sophisticated that you don't even notice them. So the difference between the EV and this were was minimal, right? Right. It's interesting that the SUV, I guess, maybe the the sound of the the engine or tire noise and, and this and that m- makes you feel like you're getting a little bit more utility from you know from the truck kind of a thing. It's part of the experience of being in an SUV, and and they don't glass pay half full way to look at it. <laughs> what? That's a very glass half full way to look at it. I was thinking that Audi was just very cheap on the Q3 and decided. <laughs> buyers wouldn't be discerning enough to know well you know you know yeah i guess i'm uh, i'm putting a marketing spin on it you know it's all part of the theater of owning an suv <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah i mean maybe that you know you have a point that the average buyer of an a4 maybe wants to is maybe a little bit more sophisticated and wants to use it for these mile crunching kind of drives and and doesn't want to be too disturbed and it's more of the old the old model or the old thinking of the classic german sedans it's so it so was and and it and it really it really shined in that model and you know the interesting thing is that it doesn't feel very different from the a4s that i was driving in maybe 2015 in Germany, I remember having a couple A4 wagons back in 2015, 2016, 2017, and they were almost the same. You know, a, a little bit of a, a little bit of updates to to the appearance and so forth, but the overall character of the car was the same. This new powertrain versus the diesels that I drove over there was way far superior. This A4 with the current 20T, I actually have the 45 TFSI. It's fast, only 270 horsepower, but 
I think they might be un- underrating it or something. It really rips, I mean, very impressively. And, the, and Audi's S-Tronic seven-speed transmission is excellent. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've from reviews I've seen of kind of recent Audis, I, I feel like, you know, they have been the best in, in the category in terms of, you know, performance and, and from the driver's perspective of enthusiasm, but also just the completeness and, and um, quality of all the stuff that they're using. Um, but the fallback that I have heard is what you said, it's the most German feeling, like it, it's just very German. And, you know, maybe that lacks a little something for some people. You know, when you mentioned the Julia, I, I really would love to have an experience in a, in a Julia. Again, my only experience was the first generation, but it was a Quadrifoglio. And and that car was fantastic. It was uh, so much fun, and and the essence of an Italian, uh, I don't know, an, an Italian on cocaine or something. You know, uh, it was just so in your face and and loud and obnoxious about the flair and and the passion of it all. Uh, and it just had so much theater. It didn't make sense from a a, a comparison to the other, you know, sports saloons that you would get the C sixty three or or whatnot um just because of the interior quality and, and technology but uh in terms of just driving it yeah knocked it out of the park in terms of enthusiasm and just enjoyment and i i would say that that falls down to the regular base trim julia it's more exciting than this a4 for sure and i now would sort of like to have my two top runners of the category back to back and see what I like, dislike about the two of them if I if I had them side by side. But I think, if I'm honest with myself, and I had to decide which one I would take home, well, you guess. What do you think I would take? Oof. I'm going to say the Julia. You're right. I would take the Julia. It was just so exciting and still good enough as a regular car. And remind me and maybe our viewers, where did you have the opportunity to drive the Julia? I flew into um, Louisville, Kentucky. Ooh, such an interesting place to have the option of an Italian sedan. I thought that as well. It was the last thing I was expecting. And Not that, that Louisville is, you know, complete nowheresville. I mean, it's a, a very populated city. There's a lot to do there, but it's just the last place, not the last place, but not a place I would often think where the, the rental car it was a rental car or was it Tura? Yeah, it was rental. It was from National, right? So I love National. If you, any of you had the, had the chance to rent from National nowadays, you just go down to the parking lot. You don't have to speak to anyone and look around and get in any car that you would like, right? And so I always spend a few minutes looking around trying to find the best car. Sometimes I'll talk to the attendant and say, hey, you have anything else coming into the lot? Can you see if you have something like this for me? And they're usually pretty nice about it. But yeah, I got that and and it was just excellent. And I had the chance to put a lot of miles on it, actually. We did a long drive. We went all the way up to Columbus, Ohio. So there were, uh, you know, I put a few few hours worth of driving on. And I also spent a lot of time over 100 miles an hour in that car. I had two colleagues with me and they weren't even complaining about my my speeding. That's how comfortable it was at those speeds. That's usually a good sign if your your passengers aren't noticing how fast you're going. Right. And it's a it's a good thing. The car's doing its job. So highly recommend Washington State for those who like driving. I have to say this was one of those 
really beautiful scenic road trips to get to come from Seattle, which is an amazing waterfront city with really, you know, dramatic water landscapes, right? Water is everywhere. And when I exited the city, it was almost even more apparent to me because I was all I was looking at it all from the perspective looking towards um, Bainbridge Island and and the, the Puget Sound there. But you go out of the city the other way towards the mountains and instantly there's there's all more water that connects back there. And I wasn't realizing that being on the on the outward facing side, the westward facing side. But then almost immediately you're right up to, to the um, the coastal uh chain of the Rockies, I guess it is. I think it's the connection. I'm not sure you can correct me, people, if I'm wrong about that. But they're stunning mountains, and it was 50 degrees and balmy in Seattle, and then it's snowing over the Snoqualmie Pass, which I loved the name of that, Snoqualmie, <laughs> and beautiful mountain pass that we drove over, you know, really nice road, taking the corners at 90, 100 miles an hour, and the A4 was really handling well. It, I meant to mention it was on Conti, um, Conti Extreme Contact DWs. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I've decided I'm a Conti man over a Michelin man, unless uh, it's for uh, perhaps extreme performance. I right. find these Conti tires are the right blend for the road where they're not harsh or loud, but they communicate and handle in the way just how you would want. Right. No, I've heard that about some of the Michelin tires, um, that they're a bit too loud and harsh. And, uh, you know, that, so you have that landscape and then you get over the, to the other side and you're just in rolling hills of farmland. And an interesting historical note, I didn't know this, but right near this wine region in, uh, where it's, it's all the Columbia and Yakima Valley of, uh, Washington, there's this Tri-Cities area there and it's, actually very famous for having a huge uh, amount of PhDs. And you think, why? As it turns out, nuclear research is a huge part of the history of the area. In fact, much of the work for the Manhattan Project was done right there in that area. So the beginning of nukes. And Hmm. as you're driving down the highway coming into the area, there's this one spot that says military area on the right. And they told me that's where they that's where they did all of the, all of that work and it's still sort of closed off but amazing just sort of you know that connection to history and really impactful history wasn't expecting it at all nor was i expecting phd's out in this farmland so the us has some tr- tricks up its sleeve nonetheless but uh anyway i wanted to talk about uh going back to what we mentioned in the beginning i i quickly touched on the fact that i got snow tires on the miata Mm. And, you know, I I think many of you can relate to this living in not perfect climates, uh, you know, around the world. uh, It's not always the best conditions to drive a sports car or some may lead you to believe. So I obviously took the decision to put some snow tires on my Miata. But Stephen has many more years of experience doing this. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about, you know, should you drive your sports car in the winter why is it is it worth it is it fun should you put it away i lived my whole life my dad says oh well that car is useless in the winter and i i've i've sort of been debating why he put that idea in my head because i tend to think he's wrong but so tell us a little bit about your experience with sports cars in the winter and snow tires and so on 
Yeah, so I mean, my experience, it's a little bit different than a Miata um, in some senses, but uh, in terms of a sports car in the, in the winter, uh, I've had my Porsche 911, my 996 uh, through the winter on snow tires. Um, and before it was kind of my car full time and it was my dad's, he would always drive it in more temperate, like winter conditions where it wasn't super snowy. He had it on all seasons um, and he would take it out uh, even then. Um, but once I kind of got my hands on it and it became more of a, a day-to-day driver, uh, I found some nice uh, winter tires to put on it. And I trust, if I have the option, I trust no one but Vredestein to uh, to have as my tires ever since I had the uh, the um, uh, sport tracks on my W123, which I still have those tires on the car. Um, they're probably six or seven years old now and the tread is is fine it's it's on its way down but it you see all the i drive my w123 a little faster than maybe the average w123 driver so you can see the edge of the sipes of the of the tires are wearing and they've completely like blended and 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 merged together (laughs) from all the heat of the the rolling of the tire Steven has his W123 rolled over onto the sidewalls more times than most. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be slicks at some point soon those tires because I'm going to run them as long as I can because you cannot find them anymore and it breaks my heart. It was yeah. a real struggle for me after driving Steven's 300D. I wanted to get the same sport tracks for my 240D. I called all around. I called Vredestein. This was during COVID. It's not getting any better. Are are they becoming available again or still in LA. Uh, I haven't, you know, gone as far as calling Breedestein to to confirm on that, but I'm pretty sure when I bought mine, I bought them from uh from um Tire Rack, you know, and and they were just readily available and and you know, it's the only maybe summer performance tire uh for my real size. Yeah, I think 14 inch. Actually. Are they 14s the bunts? They're not 15s? Yeah, I think they're 14. Oh, wow. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so they're the only, you know, performance tire really available and I kind of just fell into them, but I fell in love with them completely. Um, they're just so smooth and they, they're so quiet on the road. Um, but I've fallen in love with Bredestein since then and they were pretty much the only, there are other choices for winter tires, but they are very cliche, you know, yeah, Blizzax, things like that. Um, and I knew Vredestein uh, would hold their performance uh, compared to those other kind of popular go-to tires. And they haven't let me down. Uh, this is probably the third season I've had them with. Um, and I've had some fun with the car. You know, when we have had snow, we haven't quite had snow this season so far. So I haven't had an opportunity to really you know, put them back out there in their true conditions. It's It's been an easy time. Um, but last winter, I actually pushed the element a little bit, and uh, I, I did a winter autocross with the Connecticut Valley region of the Porsche Club uh, up at Lime Rock, and on their inner autocross track, had the opportunity, with some fresh snow, actually, it worked out pretty perfectly, uh, to really put the, the tires to the test and uh it did not let me down if anything it made me love the tires even more 
Um, and even organizers and, and people kind of working the event were amazed by the car and, and it getting through certain parts of the track in the snow. At one point, I kind of drifted and, and lost my my bearing of the track, and I drove completely off the, the track onto you know some fresher snow, but I, I continued along my way. I missed my cone that I was supposed to go through and just kind of made my own corner and... Uh, you know, I had a passenger with me at the time, but it they just had a ball with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the tires perform really well. And I've said in the past, tires make all the difference. You could have an Audi Q5 in which there were some people in their SUVs on all seasons and they struggle to get up certain parts of slopes. And uh, with these Vredestines, uh, I had no trouble. You know, for in the rear-wheel drive 911. Right. On uh, coilovers. On, yeah, slammed to the ground on coil. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, you know, I've seen your 911 now on these uh, tires quite a few times. I do love the way that it looks on the stock wheels. And I think that these tires actually are very attractive looking. Vredestein has done a great thing with their branding that all of the tires they're putting out tend to be a bit more attractive in their designs than... Well, these uh, are also uh, Jajaria designed... Uh, oh. Of course. Well, that's what it is. So they partnered with with Chicharia. and um, you know we didn't mention that on the on the W one two three tires, but that's a big part of the the appeal. Uh, but the other thing I was going to mention about them that I thought was pretty neat and maybe added to the livability or enjoyment of your nine eleven in the winter is that they soften things up a little bit, not too much, right? So in fact, I, I, as I recall, you were on the wind tracks when we went up to New Hampshire and did the kank for your birthday? Uh, I don't believe so, actually. Oh, those weren't on the winter tires. No, when we first picked up the car, we went hiking. And and that was like my 27th birthday, right? Yeah. Something like that. And I, I didn't have an opportunity to buy tires. We actually went up on old, hard um, uh, Derezas. Well, I have to say those Durezes were pretty good. I'm thinking about the G-forces you were pulling in the corners. I was going to compliment the British teams for that, but perhaps I was misguided. Maybe it was another time we went up somewhere with it. Um, but yeah, that first initial trip was on uh, hard Durezes. Oh, I have driven the uh, British teams at my house in Tiverton. You had them You had them on the car when you brought it up to Tiverton. Yes. And I finally drove your car with the new seats where I fit in. Stephen, the diamonds are, are are small wasted people, and they have <laughs> race buckets in the 911 that I couldn't fit my fat ass into, and so I couldn't really enjoy his 911 until he changed the seats. But I I do recall that it handled really well with the with the British jeans under those conditions, and it wasn't it wasn't punishing, right? And I think in the winter time, when the roads get a bit more punishing, more potholes you know, inclement conditions, perhaps having snow tires and a little more clearance, you know, makes it more appealing or would make you want to consider driving your sports car. Did you ever consider just putting it away for the winters or you always knew that you would put snow tires and drive it? Well, uh, I always knew I was going to put snow tires on and drive it because my other car is the W123 and that is rusting away and uh essentially my porsche 911 is my winter car <laughs> so it's uh, 
You're in a unique position on that front, I would say. I am. I will say that formally before the 9-11, I, I did have the, the Saab 9-3 Vigan as my winter beater car, and it was a true beater car. Um, and that did phenomenal in, in winter conditions, as you may imagine. Um, we took it to an extreme where I put studded snows uh, on that car. Um, and my brother has the car now and drives around and... Uh, we haven't seen a, a flake of snow, really, so it, it's kind of pointless to have those studded snows clackling along as you uh, you drive in dry conditions. I debated for a long time whether or not I would put snows on the Miata, because traditionally, uh, the Miata, we've had it in Rhode Island now for a few years, and we haven't driven it at all in the wintertime. We've just mothballed it in the garage. It has summer tires. You know, it's not the most pleasant with the top up, but seeing as we just got rid of the Q3 and we're waiting on the new addition to the, the car family, right. we needed to have a second car available. And I, so I said, well, might as well go ahead and, and rather than buy another car in the meantime, let's just get a set of snows for the Miata and they weren't very expensive. And I have to say, I, it transformed my experience with the car because during the winter, the summer tires, they feel like rocks. They're <laughs> so hard. Yeah. And the car gets a little bit unpleasant. And then, you know, I swapped those tires over and I was like, wow, it's so soft. It, it kind of, it, it improved things. But, you know, I got Soto Zeros for the, the Miata. They were actually the, the cheapest available. They had a $100 rebate on them. And uh, so I think it was only like 450 bucks for a set of, uh, 17 inch, yeah, they're 17s, the Miata wheels. And, and so I was really, I thought that was a, a really decent price. And so far I'm, I'm very happy with them. The only problem that I found is that the Miata has a really fast steering rack. Mm -hmm. So even with the summer tires, sometimes I would notice this when you dial up the steering, you can almost feel the delay in the tire responding. Mm. And, and so there's a little bit of a, a second where you have to wait for the tire because the rack is so fast and then the, the tire catches and the car kind of dives in a bit harder. I noticed that was more dramatic with the winter tires because they're, the sidewall is a bit softer and so forth. But you just adjust and have to dial up the steering a bit slower. Certainly the 911 also has a fast rack, so I wonder if you had that experience at all. Yeah, probably a bit. I mean, my wheel size changes uh when i go from you know i have 18 inches for the summer um and then i go back to the the stock spiral uh oem wheels uh which are 17s and so the tire wall changes a little bit there uh, overall the same diameter but um yeah you definitely do notice a difference i think the bigger thing that changes the steering dynamics when you switch from the summers to the winters is how narrow these OEM wheels are compared right. to summers. You're making a quantum leap overall in that oh, in yeah. those dimensions. And, yeah. And, and I have spacers on the on the, the wheels to to have it have a wider track um, to help, but um, which which makes a huge difference. The, the car actually with the OEMs without any spacers feels very 
uh, very darty and very loose. Um, and it's amazing that that was stock uh, from the factory. It's funny. It almost reminds me of the original 356 when you don't have the spacers on because the wheels are so tucked. It's got yeah. like a bathtub look. Right. Yeah. No, it, it does. So it makes a huge difference. And, and so that certainly helps with the stability and the cornering and everything. Um, when I'm on the, the winters, um, like I, I wouldn't really even be able to get it up to high speeds on the highway. You know, even going like 100 on the highway would feel a little bit more precarious uh, without these spacers. Um, for your Miata, it's the same tire size and everything. You're just uh, putting them same on. Same wheels. Yeah, just swapped them off, swapped off the summers, put on the winters. And I mean, I instantly went full speed and it was all right <laughs> in mexico of course the one thing I, I i don't recall off the top of my head is you know the speed rating for winter tires um i feel like i recall the the vredestines actually being maybe a, uh, a degree higher in their rating for speed versus a lot of other uh winter tires as well well, the problem with your 911 is that you actually, that car is an honest-to-goodness 170-mile-per-hour car, I believe. Right. And therefore, is that even V-rated, or do you need W-rated? Maybe V is still uh, V is still uh, good enough? I don't recall. I think so. Um, I've been enjoying my tires for so long, it's been a while since I've had to pick up a new set. Um, but... You know, obviously, if you're in the winter and you're doing winter driving, you're not often going to be going high speed, so it's not that big of a deal. But um, it's nice to know if you have the option. And obviously, with a 911, like you said, it's it's more capable of doing that. Whereas the Miata, you're not going to go up that high anyways. Um, so it shouldn't be much of an effect to that. I do also want to clarify that the Miata that you have is an ND Miata. Um, brand new um or 20 no yeah. it's got a few few years on it almost 20,000 miles finally mm. and uh i did just look at the speed rating of the soto zeros they're the v and but the v is only good for 149 miles an hour so you would need the next rating to do all of your speed in the in the 911 it seems that the uh the british jeans are, are the same i did look at the british jeans by the way and i would have purchased them for the miata if not for the unbelievable deal that there was to be had on the Soto Zeros. I don't blame you for that. Yeah. Well, uh, and no complaints about the Pirelli so far. Yeah. You know, my question now, though, so I, I'm getting this Cayman, and uh, I, as I mentioned to you before, my dad's been telling me my whole life that, you know, it's, oh, you can't drive sports cars in the winter. But I was thinking about it. In Rhode Island, we really have maybe four true snow days in a year. Why am I not going to just slap snows on the that car and drive it all winter? I sort of think that I'm going to do it. The only question is, is it worth doing what you do and having a different set of wheels and downsizing and having a bit beefier uh, tire? So the Miata doesn't have big wheels with small tires to begin with, right? So it has a fairly decent sidewall. And I didn't even really consider getting another set of wheels for it from that perspective. But on the Porsche, it might be a good idea 
I don't know if you follow the Topher on uh, YouTube. Maybe some of you listeners do. He just got uh, snow tires for or all season tires for his Civic Type R. And he went down a size to 18s with a bit of a larger um, sidewall on the tire. And, you know, I think his instant reaction was that he liked having that extra level of comfort and, and cushion for the winter for whatever pothole you might hit, what you don't see underneath the snow and so forth. No, I think if you have the ability to, you know, I would recommend it. But the, the bigger question with a lot of these cars are, you know, brake size. And if you can size down and, and get around all the brake assembly. I looked at, so I was very seriously contemplating purchasing an M2 comp. And those, you can't do it because it, it, if anybody has a chance, go look up the M2 competition brakes and they genuinely fill the entirety of the wheel. It's such a freaking enormous brake. But I guess because the Cayman is so light in comparison to that car, the brakes are puny in size. I was looking at them and they look tiny in the inside <laughs> wheel. So it's that's not an issue on the Cayman. You can definitely go one size down. I know that uh, Road and Tracker, Car and Driver, I think, did it for their long-term Cayman. Certainly the standard, I, I think the GTS wheels are 20s. The 19s do not look as good as mm. the 20s. But, you but know, maybe my, with a beefier you know, tread and everything, it would fill it in a little bit more. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. contemplate that as time goes on. I mean, the other thing that I, I think about, and you said, you know, going to winter tires, and I, I think you should drive your your Cayman when you get it in the winter. Um, but also, it's I beg the question: Do you even really need snow tires these days for how often we get snow and whatnot, or all seasons decent enough? Obviously, if we do get any snow, there's a big difference between snow tires and all seasons. But would you, you know feel what I comfortable is? having all seasons? Well, it's a good question, and I contemplated this with the Miata, right? Because we don't really need to drive the Miata if it's snowing out. Mm -hmm. But my thought process was the following. If you have cold enough weather and it's really stormy, the difference in the performance of a snow versus an all-season is worth it. So with the rain, you have so much more drainage for, for, the, for the water in the snow tires. And I think that even if you lose two-tenths of the performance just to have that level of comfort is going to make you drive the car more often yeah i think the key thing is cold so if you're in an area where it does the temperatures do drop even though we have had a mild winter uh, most all-season tires dramatically lose performance anywhere below like 45 degrees exactly and it's 32 ish for most of the winter by me so right. might as well have winters no absolutely yeah, I mean, anyone who's far in the, the northeast or anything, winter tires make sense whether you're driving a a big SUV or a sedan or a sports car. You know, you can do it just with the right tires. And, you know, just this weekend, I was actually up in Connecticut, and, and it was my mom's birthday, so happy birthday, Mom, um, on the podcast there. Um, but my brother and I, we, we took out, my mom has a, a GLE Mercedes, and we actually swap out the wheels and put on winter tires, wheels with the winter tires, you know, for the winter. We, we swap them out from the all seasons that she drives normally for the rest of the year. And it makes such a difference. My brother was even saying the car is actually much nicer to drive on 
the kind of beefier winter tires than it is the all seasons. We found that with the Q3. I did the same thing. You know, my wife is from Mexico. How many times has she driven in snow? It was a no brainer to swap over to winter tires. And we found little to no decrease in performance, a slight increase in road noise just because the tread is bigger, right? Blockier, but it's well worth it. You know, I always think about winter tires like this. You have one time that you get stuck in inclement weather. Was it worth it? (laughs) It pays for itself in a night, you know? Yeah, exactly. We've had that. You know what's a great uh, uh, point of comparison for this? When you and I had the, we had that harrowing drive of the the Land Rover Discovery that we rented on Turo on sort of balding all-season tires that we had to drive back from New Hampshire in a snowstorm. And I think you and I both had a hell of an experience with that. It was not fun to drive. Sort of made me hate the car because it was so it was so bad. We had to drive so slowly, and it was. I mean, I had like a headache. I had I had to concentrate so much after driving it, and it really wore on me after those miles. And and I thought to myself, wow, I don't want to end up in that situation under my own volition again. Oh yeah. No, I mean, we would have shaved like an hour off of that drive had we, right. had, uh, you know proper snow tires that were, you know, pop, proper tread and everything. And, and yeah, it was a, a very harrowing journey. You know, we hiked down from this mountain and then drive six. We actually took like eight hours from New Hampshire down to New York City. It might have been more. Yeah. It was brutal. And, and I don't believe we had any adaptive cruise control or anything for any of that. So you and I were just on our own autopilot. Eyeballs. <laughs> That's all we had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, let us know. Uh, let us know on Instagram if you if you guys are are using winter tires or not. I know, you know, it's very interesting in my sort of world in Rhode Island. There's very much a culture against it. Sort of the the Rhode Islander is is very much we don't need winter tires. You know, we have all seasons. You're crazy. Everyone looks at me like I'm this bizarre character that I use winter tires. Uh, I'd say I, I must be in the minority. Uh, the only other person that I know in my general circle of acquaintances in Rhode Island is uh, our friend Constance, but she's from Europe. And so obviously got the habit from, from Europe, right? Where it's, where it's mandated by law. And there's a reason for that people, you know, it's not that they get so much more snow in Europe. It's just, they know the function of the, the rubber and the different temperatures. It's so obvious, but I'll get off my soapbox and maybe we should leave it here. Uh, lots of exciting things coming up. I have a couple more, rental cars coming this week. So maybe we can talk about that uh, next week. And Stephen, you have your homework assignment to drive a Tesla before the next time we speak. Okay, I'll try to do that again. No promises though. I don't think we're gonna have any different conclusions, but I can at least opine on the, uh, how it compares to a W123 and see if I agree with Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) 